Welcome to Hope Renewed, the podcast of PIR Ministries. Thanks for connecting to Hope Renewed, the in-depth podcast about pastoral renewal and restoration. I'm Tom Jameson, and along with co-host Sean Nemechek, we explore the issues and challenges pastors face and help cultivate a renewed hope for healthy ministry lives. So, Sean, I'm sure you've had those times when a song gets stuck in your head and just kind of goes around and around and around and around. So, oh, yeah. So I'm curious, are you a John Denver fan? Well, no, not me. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm do you even know who guy, John man. Denver is? <laughs> I'm really dating myself here. So all morning today, I've been hearing his, thank God I'm a country boy, over and over and over in my head. I'm wondering what is going on, trying to figure out why I finally connected it to what we're doing today on the podcast. Yeah, welcome to the strange world of my mind. What I really want to say is thank God for country churches. Uh, ministry in the rural context is incredibly challenging and necessary. Over 60 million people live in rural America, but the nature of country living can make effective ministry doubly difficult and place pastors at greater risk for isolation and discouragement. That's why PIR is committed to supporting and resourcing pastors in rural contexts and creating partnerships with other ministries doing great work in rural communities. Yeah, we have a special guest today. Uh, John Sanders is a leading voice in the rural church arena. John hosts the Small Town Big Church podcast to encourage pastors with the message that God delights in doing big things in small places. He has a passion to use his voice to motivate and inspire leaders in ministry and business through his professional coaching, speaking, and several podcasts. John serves as the Director of Content and Conferencing for the Rural Matters Institute at the Billy Graham Center for Evangelism at Wheaton College. Uh, in addition to his passion for the rural church, John also works as a full-time firefighter and EMT for the Sioux Falls Fire Rescue uh, in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. So we, we have just a, a very special guest today. John, we want to welcome you to Hope Renewed. Man, guys, thank you for letting me come on the podcast and have a conversation with you. It's my honor to be here. And I've got to say, before we jump into this, I have, I've never interviewed a firefighter before. And I think this is so cool. And, oh, cool. and seeing, seeing the connection with that with ministry. Yeah, I love it. There's a, there's a huge, uh, what's the word I want to say? There's, it's synonymous. The worlds of ministry and firefighting, pastoring and firefighting, it's very synonymous. And I could preach a whole series. I have preached a whole series on it. <laughs> It's real easy to get burned in both, I'm sure. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. See, we're doing it. All right, John, why don't you, uh, just for the sake of our listeners, tell us a little bit about yourself and your ministry career. Yeah, for sure. So I grew up in pastoral ministry. My dad was a pastor, so I was kind of in and around the church world my whole life and loved it. You know, some some pastor's kids have a not-so-awesome experience in ministry. That was not my the case for me. You know, I had a really positive outlook on the church, loved serving in the church. I just knew I wasn't going to do that for a job, right? That wasn't going to be my thing. So I was supposed to play professional football for the Minnesota Vikings. That's what I always tell there people. You go. They never called me. So in, uh, in high school, I really got turned on to, you know, the world of firefighting and thought that that's cool. I think I'll do that for a career. And so I did. And uh, right out of high school, I went into college, got a degree in fire science, 
Um, started doing some volunteer firefighting. And at the age of 21, I got hired on the Peoria, Illinois Fire Department and mm. thought I had my life figured out. At 21 years old, I thought I'll work 30 years in this, retire with a full government pension and still be young enough to go do something else that's fun. And then God just messed up all those plans. So uh, <laughs> he really had been calling me to ministry. I knew it. I was running from it. My message to the Lord, then my heart was like, God, I'll do anything you want. I'll serve you. Just don't make me do that. Don't make me preach. I was terrified of that. Well, long story short, I quit running from God in, in the summer of 2002. And I said, Lord, if you want me in some kind of pastoral ministry, I think you're making a big mistake. Um, I've got a lot of reasons why I'm not the right guy for this. But if you want me to do it, I'm, I'm going to obey and I'll go. And uh, so I did. And, and it was one of the best decisions I ever made. It's how ironic that is that when we follow God mm. and submit to him, our lives actually work, you know, and, <laughs> uh, and, and I have lived that verse, Psalm 37, four, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart, man. I'm on a journey like that where God just keeps rewarding me with the desires of my heart as I try to follow him and obey him and, and live the story that he has for me. So my family and I, at the time, two young kids, my wife and I quit the fire department, moved out to this little town in rural South Dakota, which you don't really need to qualify South Dakota with rural because it's all rural. <laughs> um, but we moved out here and started a church. We planted a church that uh, over the course of 16 years grew into a, a multi-site church. You know, we planted multiple rural locations um, and you know, through that process, God really broke my heart for the rural context. When I came out here, I really was resistant. We had 10 churches in my little town of 2,300 people. And, you know, I would, people would ask me, you know, another church, do we really need another church? And hmm. I was like, talk to God. He's the one that called me. I'm telling him <laughs> the same thing. Right. But I, in, in the process of pastoring in a rural community and planting multiple rural locations, I can tell you that God broke my heart for the rural context, mm. that there is so much need for, even though there's a lot of religion in many rural communities, there's a lack of relationship with Jesus Christ and just the simple gospel message being proclaimed. And so, you know, through that process, God led me into sharing some of our stories and our wins and our losses through a podcast that you mentioned earlier, the Small Town Big Church podcast. And over the years, God's just really opened the door of influence for me to be able to speak into the lives of rural leaders, you know, through the podcast, through conferences, and here most recently kind of bringing it up to, to uh, modern day times, uh, I had an invite to come on staff um, in partnership. I'm not technically an employee, but to come into partnership with the Rural Matters Institute and do their conferencing and their content, you know, so basically they're, they're supporting me to do my podcast and then they're sending me around the country to speak to rural pastors and uh, at about the same time, I, I launched into a professional coaching business, and I work with a lot of pastors in that way. And so the way I tell the story is that I'm, in, I'm still in ministry. I'm just in a different season of ministry now where instead of leading just one church in a rural context, I'm, I'm impacting many churches through serving mm -hmm. their leaders. So that's kind of the helicopter tour of my story. Oh, and yeah, as you mentioned a few minutes ago, a number of years ago, I had an opportunity to go back into full-time firefighting. I never thought that was going to happen. I didn't set out to make that happen, but but God kind of dropped it in my lap and said, here it is. If you want to go back into it, the door's open and it's yours if you want it. And so, yeah, I, there was a season where I was full-time leading this church um, and firefighting full-time. So it's just been a crazy journey, you know, um, 
I love the life that God has allowed me to live and grateful to get to share the story. John, you, you and I have never met before, but I feel like I know you because I've listened to your podcast quite a bit. I was a rural church pastor for almost 18 years, and uh, my, I was in a town of 250 people. When I was recovering from burnout, I was starting to listen to podcasts. I knew I really need some help, needed some help understanding the context of the rural church, and your podcast was, was a big help to me. Why, why did you start this podcast, and uh, how are you hoping it will continue to help rural pastors? Well, I'm going to be very honest with you. I felt led to start the podcast. Like, for, first of all, I should say I'm a podcast junkie. You know, it's my love language, <laughs> and I've, I've listened to thousands of hours of podcasts. But I started to feel this urge years ago, like, I should share our story with other rural pastors. It's kind of this idea of creating a resource that I wish would have existed and didn't exist at the time, you know, and, but I'll, here's the part, I'm going to be real transparent. At the time, I was in a story of a church that was on the rise in terms of our growth in a rural context, and we're launching, you know, multi-site locations. And so I thought, people need to hear the story of what's happening here, the growth. And, hmm. but what I found is that while there's certainly some inspirational parts of that story, what I found resonated far more with pastors is, the times that I would just be very transparent and talk about the struggles of rural ministry. And those would be the times that people reached out. And as I, you know, I've been podcasting now for about seven years, maybe a little more than that. And um, so I've been, you know, I've been living life. I've been on high, high mountaintops and low valleys and podcasting through the whole thing, been very transparent, sometimes maybe more than I should be. I've had people reach out and say, why do you tell some of the stories you do? But um, what I found is that it's in those moments of, of weakness and sharing that, that really resonates with pastors. Um, but, you know, why do I do it? What, what do I hope to see accomplished with it is, I, number one, I want to be a voice that champions that pastor that's out there that feels like, they're all alone, you know, that no one knows where they're at and that am I really making a difference? I want them to know they're not alone. There's a whole bunch of us out here just like you and God cares about you and your church and your community. He's not forgotten. You are not in some second rate place. And Jesus is not disappointed when he sees the small number on the population sign on the edge of your town. I don't know why we do that in rural towns, but we do. We tell everyone how many people live there. And Jesus doesn't look at that small, relatively small number of 250, or in my mm -hmm. case, 2,300, and go, oh, that's a bummer. I wish there were more people here. You know, like he loves every one of those 250 mm. people and has a plan to reach them for his eternal kingdom. And he's looking for some leaders that are willing to believe him to do incredible things in that place. And that's kind of, by the way, the name of the podcast, Small Town Big Church, has gotten, a, I might, I'm honestly, thinking about changing the name of it. Not that it's super controversial, but if people don't understand what I mean behind that in the heart, they think here's a guy that's trying to teach me how to do, you know, build a mega church in a small town. And, mm -hmm. and I'm not an anti mega church guy, but I'm certainly not trying to tell you that you can have a church of 2000 in a town of 250. It's, it's more this idea of believing God for big, significant, important, you know, kingdom mm -hmm. impact in a small place. Oh, that's really cool. It was uh, right around the time that, that I discovered your podcast, I was getting really frustrated uh, as a small church pastor and a rural church pastor that everything out there in the conferences and the books and things, they were all for, you know, mega church, uh, suburban locations. 
And uh, you and several others started to produce some content for small church pastors and rural churches. And uh, pretty soon, Ed Stetzer started to pay attention to uh, kind of the groundswell movement. And uh, the Rural Matters Institute was launched. And I was really excited when, uh, when they first started talking about doing that, that finally somebody's paying attention to the needs of the rural church. So can you tell us a little bit more about what Rural Matters Institute is and how it helps rural churches and their pastors? Yeah, and you did a good job of kind of framing the uh, inception of that. They found me through my podcast in the early years of their existence. And, you know, I partnered with them on a few things, spoke at a, a conference or two and just was kind of in their in their radar, so to speak. We were kind of in each other's um, contact list. And it, so it wasn't until more recently that they reached out and, and invited me to have more of a formal role. But that's pretty much how it started was really after the election of, of uh, President Trump in 2016, that put rural on the map in our nation at a national level. And then even within the church, I think there were some larger uh, church leaders saying, wait a minute, there, wait, there's people out there in those red states, those flyover states, who are these people? And it almost became a, a source of fascination um, and so, yeah, the Rural Matters Institute was kind of born out of that. And I, very transparently, I used to be somewhat frustrated because it's housed out of the Billy Graham Center for Evangelism at Wheaton College. Great organization, great group of people. But I always thought when I would help them with various events, I thought there's a disconnect here. You've got people like Ed Stetzer and, and others that have a good heart and care about this, but they they don't know what rural context is all about there in Chicago, mm -hmm. Illinois, like they pick up Starbucks and on their way into the office, like that is not how it works out in my neck of the woods. And so I always said they need a rural voice for that thing. And a few years later, that happened and, and when they reached out to me. But um, so yeah, like that the Rural Matters Institute, their goal is to provide resourcing, mentoring, and uh, inspiration for the rural church. We're just trying to bring different denominational groups and networks and pastors under a large umbrella, um, recognizing that we, we have some differences where we, that we can celebrate and, and um, appreciate. But as a whole, we want to speak a language that really encourages and resonates with those that are serving in the small town and the rural church and be a source of resources, inspiration and mentoring through, you know, the networking that takes place and the relationships that we can bring together. So um so yeah, it's been kind of a fun journey to get to walk alongside of them as I'm on one hand kind of building small town, big church and that whole thing to also be helping them build the Rural Matters Institute and same goals and working with a lot of the same people. And it's been a fun journey. So how do how do uh, rural pastors access that? How do they get connected? So uh, their website is BGC, as in Billy Graham Center, bgcruralmatters.com. I would direct them there. Also, for those pastors that are on Facebook, we have a free uh, Facebook community. It's like private or closed. I don't know the difference between the two, but you can't, you got to search for it and you have to be accepted into it. But uh, we have well over a thousand pastors in that group as well. And uh, so I would invite any pastor listening to this, if you want to be a part of that, it's a space for, you know, sharing resources, asking questions, encouraging one another, and just connecting with rural pastors. So it would be another place they could find us online. So pretty technology dependent, uh, which in my mind goes to the, the issue of, of difficulty of connection for rural pastors. I mean, 
they're, they're scattered. They're one of the, the problems in serving in rural ministries from my understanding has always been connection, just, you know, feeling so isolated because you're just out there. You're usually a solo pastor. You might have a couple other people in town having access then to these larger communities, these more in-depth resources through technology. Yeah. We, with, with RMI, we provide a number of uh, in-person gatherings through the year, some one day summits, um, and then a national conference in the fall. But I'm telling you, and, and I get it, there still are those exceptions. Thankfully, they're becoming more the exception than the rule. Those that are in a place that they truly cannot connect online, it's just not a great option still. I get that those places are still a reality, but they're becoming less and less every day. And so for I would say for the majority of rural pastors, we have a tool in our generation that rural pastors before us would have love to have. And that is this tool that can connect us all. Certainly it can be used for a lot of, um, you know, ill will and harm, but man, when we can tap into this internet thing, the interwebs, if they're coming to your town, man, we can connect with, with real relationships with people all across um, Mm. the United States and even other parts of the world. And that's when I'm not at the fire station guys, when I'm in my office here at home, my days are just full of having powerful conversations with leaders, most of them in the church. I do some coaching in the business community as well with entrepreneurs and that sort of thing. But most of my, my time and investment goes into spending, you know, time with rural church leaders and pastors. And, uh, and I do it all through zoom. I mean, I'd say 98% of that is done online through zoom and the conversations are real. They're authentic. They're powerful there's almost no excuse in our world today for a pastor to ser- serve in isolation. You know, like that is a dangerous place to be, to be cut off, to be isolated. And I would challenge any pastor listening to this. We need one another. We need to be connected. And uh, there's avenues at your fingertips, literally at your fingertips to make that happen. So let's, let's mm. connect. If you're out there serving in isolation and alone, let's get connected. Yeah, I, that's got to be so encouraging to hear more and more and more that those opportunities are there uh, and, and just even to become aware that they're there yeah. uh, is, I think is so important. So you mentioned uh, before you mentioned, you know, a, a rural communities, uh, what you discovered was a, a lack of, um, I'm, I'm going to throw some of my words in here, a lack of authentic or vibrant or even real relationship with Christ that maybe there's more of the, the whole background of, well, this is what my family did, this is what the community does, and we're just all kind of Christian and, and nope. uh, uh, not having that. And then isolation. What, what are some of the other unique needs and, and characteristics um, that you see in, in rural ministry? Well, in, it's kind of a, a double-edged sword in, in the rural context because any problems you can think of in an urban context, you know, if we think of the, the problems that happen in a big city, uh, urban setting, ghetto, whatever, all of that stuff exists in rural. Mm. And sometimes people don't realize that because yeah. what rural has been depicted on TV is, you know, the, the Mayberry with uh, was that Andy Griffith back in the day. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's this quaint little Norman Rockwell-esque type place. And certainly there's parts of that in rural America, but anything you can find, any vice, any, any uh, poverty, it all exists in the rural setting. But what doesn't exist in the rural setting that is in the urban context are resources. You know, so often in the big metropolitan and urban areas, there's, there's more resources available to deal with some of that, whether it's the infrastructure of, you know, for the first responders, the law enforcement, or whether it's the social services, 
all of that is limited when you get out into the rural context. And so that makes life more challenging there. And it also makes ministry more challenging there. And by the way, like you send these pastors to a normal church conference somewhere, and I'm not slamming it. Like there's, there's great resources out there in the church world, but when you take a pastor out of small town, South Dakota and send him to Dallas or Miami or wherever for this awesome church conference, and he's surrounded by, you know, a 6,000 seat auditorium, like it's very easy to come back just feeling discouraged and feeling like mm-hmm. a failure and going that I, I must be doing something wrong because my nothing of what I'm doing looks like what I just came from. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's the, the lack of resources is a real challenge because it just changes the way we have to approach everything with ministry, you know, and, and in the community. One of the big uh, eye-opening experiences for me was uh, when we had the housing market crash in 2008 and uh, I had family back in the city uh, where I grew up and their economy in the city was recovering a whole lot faster than we were in the rural communities. And I started to do some research and found that rural communities are often hit harder and it lasts longer than most suburban communities. Um, and uh, the the poor in, in urban settings often are hit harder and it lasts longer uh, for them too. But uh, boy, just the reality of, of how many times uh, rural communities have had to learn to live on less for a longer period of time. Uh, and that, that produces a, a resilience that you won't find anywhere else. But it also uh, produces a, you know, a certain amount of fear and, uh, and, and their desire to just kind of keep things the way they are as much as they can. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. Um, it's one of the things that makes rural, it's a strength of the rural community, the rural people is that they, they're generally maybe, I don't, I don't want to say they're tougher, but they, they do learn to bounce back. We deal with some things creatively, you know, in the rural mm-hmm. context, we're forced to come up with some creative solutions. And so if you look at it from a positive standpoint, even in the church, sometimes that lack of resources can drive us to an innovative breakthrough. If we're willing to, to see it as a benefit and not a negative. And if we're not comparing ourselves to how some other church does it in some entirely different context, we might find a solution to a problem that is very unique to our setting and um, where our, you know, our biggest obstacle becomes our biggest opportunity. So yeah, that that's another maybe pro and con of being in the rural space. So I'm curious to know when, when you came to, to South Dakota with this vision that God had given you to plant the church and you come into this small town of 2,300 and there are 10 churches there already and people are saying, why another church? You know, we can pass it off on the Lord and say, you know, well, ask him. He, he sent me. But when I think of church planning, I, I think of it in urban and suburban context. I don't think of it in a rural context. And there must have been something very exciting, something kind of new and innovative God was doing um, maybe in you or through you or that you were seeing that, that was a part of all this church planning and then the success you saw with it um, in an ur- a, a rural context. Well, I'll tell you, I wish the story was that sexy, but it's not. Um, my goal <laughs> moving to rural was survival because, you know, we were starting not even at ground zero with the, the conditions we came into. I say we were kind of below ground zero uh, with some of the surrounding details of, of how we launched our church. 
And um, so the thought in the early days of just getting to a place where we were fully like the, the dream of being fully supported by our church and having a salary that could support a full-time pastor, having a, a facility of our own, like these things seemed impossible. And what God taught me pretty early in the process was that um, when he's guiding and leading, nothing is impossible mm. and that he did not plant us just to survive. Like he plant. that's when I got a vision was, a few years into it, I realized, whoa, the thing that I thought would take a lifetime to do, God did it in a little under five years. I wonder what would happen if we actually believed him for something greater. And I think mm. that my call to rural leaders is God did not plant your church, whether you were the planter or it was planted 125 years ago. The, the vision of God for his church is not just to survive. It is to thrive. It is to take ground for the kingdom and so that changed, like, like I didn't come out here with this thought of like, man, we're going to build this. If you would have told me the story of my life and how God has allowed me to be a part of his work at the beginning, I would not have believed any of this. Um, so I didn't see any of this early on. It wasn't until a few years in that God gave me a vision that you're not serving in some second rate place, you know, like what if I wanted to do something significant mm. right here and through your story? And what if, and, and I didn't come out here with a bad attitude. Like I didn't think, man, I wish God would have called me to a bigger place. I was still dumbfounded that he called me into ministry. I was like, I don't think this is going to work at all. Um, and, and it did, but he gets all the glory. Cause if you would have known me then, well, even if you know me now, you still are like, nah, I don't think it's a God story. <laughs> right. But especially if you knew me then, you know, it's like, it was, it's all God that gets the glory for it. So I don't know if I, what was the question again? I don't know if I answered the question. <laughs> The Hope Renewed Podcast is brought to you by PIR Ministries. At PIR Ministries, we partner with God in the church in the work of pastoral renewal and restoration. Pastors, our goal is to help you cultivate new hope for healthy life and ministry. We do this by building relationships. We train both pastors and churches to promote a culture of ministry health. If you've experienced a forced termination from ministry, we provide a process of restoration for you and your family. We also have proven resources and tools to assist you in the challenges of ministry life. To contact us or to learn more about PIR Ministries, visit PIRministries.org. What I'd really like to dig deep into your heart and mind is what, what do you see um, you know, as, a, as a vision for ministry in the rural context? What excites you? What, what makes it unique in the place where God might do things that he's just maybe never done before or do it in a, in a different way or a, a much more powerful way? Mm, that's good. That makes me, that reminds me of something I was going to say earlier, so, and it'll fit here too. One of the things that God showed me on this journey that I am on as I started to podcast and as I started to connect with rural pastors and leaders of other networks and, and denominations across the country. Here's one of the things God told me, and I hope this is, or that he showed me, and I hope this is an encouragement to, to our listeners. And that is this, is that God has been at work in the rural space for a very long time. He's working presently. All he's doing now is he's starting to connect some of us. You know, it's, these mm -hmm. tools are at our disposal where he's starting to bring all of us together to say, hey, uh, I know you might feel alone in your little town of 1,200 people over here, then you have to drive an hour to get to the grocery store or Walmart. You're not alone. There are many men and women just like you all across the nation serving in similar places. And I'm starting to connect you guys and I'm starting to send this message. I am working 
in the rural space and in the rural church. So what my vision is for it and what makes rural unique, here's a really positive look on it, is um, one of the benefits of being a, a church in a small community is that it doesn't take a lot to be on the radar of your community. Now that, that can be for the bad too, but, um, but let's look at it in the positive light. And you don't have to try very hard to get out of the mundane blending into the backdrop of people don't even know there's a church there. And sadly, that's the story for many rural churches. They, they're just, they're asleep at the wheel and the community forgot they even existed with just a little attention to detail and excellence and a question of how can we show the love of God to our community in a tangible way. It does not take much for a church to just pop on the scene of their local community and for the community to sit up and take notice and go, wow, something's happening with this church. You know, like they're everywhere we look, they're there, they're serving, they're involved in our community. They're making a difference. And don't get me wrong. That's not always going to be celebrated. I, I could, spend the rest of this time talking about stories of opposition that come in a rural mm -hmm. community when you start advancing the kingdom of God and loving on the community. Not everyone loves it. Not everyone responds well. Um, but that's the story of Jesus in the gospels as well. You know, people were drawn to him and people were repelled by him. So if that's not happening on some level in your rural church, you may not be dishing out the gospel as much as you think you are. If you've just been able to blend in like a secret service agency in the backdrop and the community doesn't even know you're there. So my vision is for some leaders to see the opportunity that is there in their rural small town context to believe God that what if God actually wanted to blow the roof off of this thing? What if he wanted to do something eternally significant in our day through our church, through my leadership? What would that look like? I mean, I think God will light some rural communities on fire with leaders and churches like that. John? Can I ask you a question? Over the, the last um, 30 to 40 years, we've seen a lot of rural communities really suffer. Um, just loss of jobs and uh, income and, and all sorts of things. And in some ways, there are some rural communities that are in just survival mode. They, they just barely are making things happen. And, and when that infects a church, it's dangerous. What would you say to the pastors and church leaders uh, in communities like that? How can they get out of that survival mode and into this big vision that you're talking about? Well, I don't want to over-spiritualize it, but on some level, that has to be a God work. Like, like God has to, God has to, to flip that switch in, in a leader's heart. Um, but th that requires a leader putting themselves in a posture where they're hearing the voice of God and, and um, you know, responding to that. Um, but here's the thing. It's, it's a leadership issue because if the leader's not excited about it, the church isn't going to be excited about it. If the leader's not healthy, the church isn't going to be healthy. If we can get some pastors to really believe again that God wants to do something and that pastor champions that community instead of, because imagine this, when a pastor comes into a, a rural setting, this is probably has been more of the normal story for years they see it as a hopefully a short-term assignment. I'm going to put, and in some denominations, that's exactly what it is. You're just there to get your feet wet. Mm -hmm. You're practicing on these people. And as soon as you prove that you didn't screw that up, we're going to start moving you up the chain. We'll give you a real church. Yeah, we'll give you a real <laughs> church, a bigger church. And so I, one time I even had a pastor years ago tell me as he was heading into one rural community, he said, well, when I get to my next church, I'm going to X, Y. And I said, hey, don't ever let your people hear you say that. Because yeah. you just told me you're already looking beyond them to where you actually want to get. 
to be, you know, so imagine if, if instead pastors came to their rural communities and said, this is where God has put me and I'm going to get excited about this town. I'm going to get excited about the people. I think you'd see people respond to that. Now I, we can't change the, the, you know, the macroeconomic things that are happening in our world, but I will tell you this pastor that there is, there is a migration happening back to rural. Like this is a real Mm. thing. It's happening right Mm -hmm. now. And has been, you know, you look at like some of the events of this past year with the, the pandemic and people being in close proximity with one another, the riots that have been going on, this division, you're seeing people look around going, hmm, maybe this rural town isn't such a bad idea to move my family out to a place where we can breathe and have some freedom and, you know, mm-hmm. move a little bit. And so there's a real migration taking place. Now, that's exciting on one hand, because I think in the years to come, we're going to see rural start to uptick in many cases in terms of the economy Mm -hmm. and all of that, the housing market. Uh, But from a church standpoint, I can tell you a challenge is going to be, we've got people moving into the rural context who don't think like rural folks. They don't talk like rural folks. They don't vote like rural folks. They don't carry the same values. And so from a spiritual leadership standpoint, that's going to be a new tension to manage in the rural churches. How do we handle this influx Mm -hmm. of the city folks Mm -hmm. that are coming out and what does it look like to be a unified body of Christ when we see this meshing of the red and blue and the values that, that come with that? That's, that's just really insightful. I had not thought at all about that kind of trajectory that, that's happening. So a, a risky question or, or a request for you to, to speak to the pastor who's in a rural context and said, you know what, that's just not going to happen here. This town is still stuck in the 1950s, or this town is still just never going to change. They're they're always going to, to to be the same. What would you say to that pastor? That's a great question, and I'm going to surprise you with my answer. You ready for this? I would say to that pastor, he might be right, mm-hmm. but I would also challenge the pastor with this. You know, you think about the the scripture where Jesus, as he's sending his disciples out, he tells them, "If a mm-hmm. town rejects you," you know, wipe the dust from your sandals and keep going. Now, I don't encourage pastors to claim that verse after every, you know, (laughs) tough weekend that they've had. Every Monday morning. (laughs) Yeah, because every pastor on Monday morning thinks about wiping the dust from their sandals, right, and moving on. But seriously, there does come a time when we need to wrestle with that. This is, by the way, this is John's opinion. I didn't read that. Mm. Well, I did read the dust dust off your sandals part. That is in the Bible. But, (laughs) um, But this is, you asked me for my opinion. I'm just telling you, I do think there comes a time that a leader in a rural context may need to wrestle with that question and say, is there, is this soil right? And am I the right person for this season? Because, you know, we've always been told that, uh, you know, winners never quit. Well, I've also been told that's not true, that winners quit all the time. If something's not working, they abandon and quit and go to something else. But having said that, I don't want every pastor listening to go, you know, type up their resignation letter because they're also <laughs> said I can go. <laughs> yeah. So ask God if he says you can go, um, because John's going to say maybe. Um, and by the way, this is where I would encourage you to seek out really godly, skilled counsel, mentoring, coaching, where someone can help you unpack that a little bit more deeply. And it's not just your emotional decision you're making on the, you know, after 16 years of not getting a break in ministry mm-hmm. or whatever the case may be. We need to unpack that before you make that decision, because the, uh, the flip side of that is pastor. Sometimes it is, this is the season to roll up our sleeves and to dig in your heels mm-hmm. and to say, this is where God has planted me. And this is where I'm going to grow. Mm-hmm. You know, 
we need that resiliency too. So I know I'm kind of speaking out of both sides of my mouth with that, but some pastors need to stay and fight and other pastors need to quit. Like yesterday, they've been fighting and losing battle. So you can decide which one you are if you're listening to mm. this. But yeah, so like I said, I, I told you my answer would probably not be what you were expecting me to say. Sometimes those pastors need to quit their vision for what they thought this church was going to be and uh, recognize that God may have called them to a, a different work than they first thought. Um, when I came to, to my church, uh, I had big dreams and realized very quickly that this was not going to work here in this location. And then after looking at the church's history, I found that the average tenure of pastors, even though the, the church was 130 years old almost uh, at that time, uh, the average tenure of pastors was about three years. Mm. Uh, do the math there. How many pastors mm. have come and gone? And, and uh, I started to see the church more as, as um, more like, like an abused woman almost uh, that, that had taken somebody in and they had left them and abandoned them. And then they again and again and again, this relationship with, with pastors has been so short. So I, I saw it as my job to bring stability to yeah. that relationship and healing, which mm. is not the same thing as, you know, growing a huge church and, and reaching the whole community for Christ. But boy, sometimes you have to change your vision and get on what God is, is really calling you to. Yeah, I'll say two things to that. First of all, I agree. I think longevity should be the goal of any pastor coming into a rural space, unless, again, unless there's some unique, like, you know, you're coming in for an interim season or something like that. But this normal thing of where you come and you're there for 36 months and you're gone and then someone else comes in and starts over. I think that's broken. I think that's a highly ineffective way of doing it. So I agree. A distinction I'll draw out, though, is the difference between church planting versus taking over an established mm -hmm. church, a very different yeah. uh, context. So, you know, do filter that through your own, through your own context, because in my case, we were starting from ground zero. There's pros to that. There's obviously some cons to that as well. Right. Um, but for me, and this is the second thing I want to say, I, I have come to realize in my life, I didn't always know this about myself, but I've, I've come to realize God made me to be an entrepreneur. That makes some people nervous, right? Especially mm -hmm. in the church where we value things to stay the same and tradition and don't rock mm -hmm. the boat. Entrepreneurs are wired to rock the boat. And so to, to as a church planter, that entrepreneurial gifting is a blessing, right? Like that's where you need that entrepreneurial pioneering spirit. Let's start something new and take the risk. Um, but in my story, I realized over the course of the life of our church, it was time that same gifting that was needed to get all these campuses off the ground was probably now we needed someone to come in a little more steady and just fly the ship. Because if I, if it's left to me, I'm going to keep popping the hood, making tweaks. I might crash this thing, you know, if I keep mm -hmm. adjusting things now. So the point is this, I'm always fascinated by conversations about different ways of doing church. And I'm going back to your statement about what if God had a different vision for your church? What if we understood that, I mean, where did we ever get this idea that church was supposed to look like what we've caused it to look like over the last however many mm. decades in our country, mm -hmm. where it's, we, it's a place, we go to this building on Sunday, we all sit in rows facing forward, we watch a few people on the stage do their thing, and we mm -hmm. go home. 
what if, man, what if Jesus was inviting his church to do some things a little creative? What if Jesus has gotten bored with our Sunday morning routine and saying, <laughs> and what if he wanted to use a pandemic to invite leaders to go, I'm going to force innovation on you. You've got to get innovative because you have mm. bored me to death with what mm. you've created in the church. Um, it's so predictable. It's so boring. Get out and try some new things. And so my challenge to pastors in this season is if there has ever been a time to experiment and do something innovative and try that thing you've always wanted to try. It is now guys like there's, I feel so many pastors have this push to go back to normal, the way things were. We, we can't wait to get back to normal. And I understand that we're human beings and there's a lot about this pandemic. I don't like either, but in the, from a standpoint of doing church, like, man, what if we leverage this opportunity to try something different? And what if church in my context looks very different than church in your context? And what if that's mm -hmm. okay? What if we stop trying to have this pressure? We all have to look like each other and do church the same way. What if Jesus was inviting his church to engage their community in very creative ways that might look different in South Dakota than in Michigan and anywhere else? You know, so that I know I'm on a rampage here, but that, that's you're my preaching, man. Keep, keep it up. I love what you're saying. If I keep preaching. We're going to have to take an offering pretty quick. <laughs> it's so important to, to do that, though, in, in a context of connection with others. Uh, and, and that's what excites me about what you're doing in, in creating these networks and creating opportunities. So I'm not just reading a book, sitting in my small town thinking, okay, yeah, well, how am I going to make that happen? I'm interacting with others and I'm hearing, oh, what you're doing and what you're trying. And, oh, we couldn't do that here, but maybe we could do something like right. this. And just getting that, that dynamic of, of body life together as we serve together through that, that um, connection and that conversation. Yeah, let me say this here. This is a good this is a good place to interject this thought. This is another challenge for rural pastors and I'm this is not meant as a put down to rural people, uh, but generally speaking, the pastor in the average rural church is going to be probably the most educated in terms of formal education. Most likely the there's probably no one in that church that reads more than the pastor. Now, again, we can find exceptions and I'm not calling rural people dumb. That is not what I'm saying. But what I am saying very clearly to pastors listening to this, if you are constantly the smartest person in the room, you need to get in a new room. Because if you are only hanging out with people in your church, your thinking is going to be limited to their context, to their world, and you have got to get around some other leaders that are thinking at a higher level than you. One of the most powerful things that I did in my ministry for years is constantly made decisions to put myself in mentoring relationships with people that kind of intimidated me because they were doing life, not just ministry. Certainly I hung around other pastors, but other leaders in business and in life that are leading at a whole nother level that challenged my thinking. And, and whether that's through personal relationships with those kind of folks, or whether it's through reading their books or listening to their podcasts, pastor, you have got to get in a different room. If instead of being in that place where you're the one that everyone comes to you for all the answers mm. and the insight, mm. you've got to get around some other leaders that push you and challenge you. And Tom, that goes back to what you're saying, because then you start to hear different ideas where you're like, well, that might not work in my contacts, but what if I did this or that? And mm. this person took a risk in their life, their business, their church. What would it look like for me to step out of my comfort zone and take a risk in my setting? So, you know, man, pastors get Whatever that looks like for you, get into some kind of mentoring relationship, hire a coach, whatever the case may be, get around some people that are pushing you 
to, to be a, to lead at a higher level. And that, that'll help keep your vision and that flame, you know, fanned for, for the vision that God has given you for your church and what could be possible. Do it. Come on. Go. <laughs> Get me let's fired go. up here. Yeah, let's do it. You've had, um, you've had good opportunity to interact with Rory Yankee, our executive director at PIR, getting to know him and, and we're getting to know you and, and the ministries. And we're excited about the growing partnership that, uh, we have with you and with Rural Matters Institute. How do you how do you see this partnership helping pastors and and other partnerships as well? For sure, I'll tell you one of the things I love about what you guys are doing is focusing on the the soul care of pastors, and it's one of those things that we have seen far too many stories of pastors burning out in ministry, not just from a workload, but from emotional wounds that have not never been processed and dealt with in a healthy way. You know. I don't know, maybe in fairness to, to generations gone by, maybe it's becoming more acceptable to talk about issues of mental health. For so long, there's been such a stigma around that. And in the church, we put even another layer over it, and that's the spiritual layer of, man, if you're reading your Bible and praying and walking with the Lord, you shouldn't be dealing with mm. some of these things. And it forces pastors, when they're dealing with stuff behind the scenes, it forces them to even darker corners of isolation and so to have ministries out there that are championing mental health and wellness and the ability to raise your hand and go, I need help. I'm, I'm not in a good place and I need someone to talk to. That is nothing but good for the kingdom of God as we take care of their leaders. So I can tell you, I'm going to point people to you as, as people come to me and, and I need those resources. I can tell you in my own experience, um, there was a season in my leadership many years ago where my wife and I hit a, just a stuck place in our marriage. We were just stuck and we needed help. And because of my background in ministry, that was unthinkable to think of pastors don't go to marriage counseling. They give marriage counseling. And when I finally got through that, then the next hurdle was, well, where do I even turn? Like who can help a pastor in marriage counseling stuff? Now I'm grateful I was able to find two very gifted counselors that, and by the way, I always tell the story. I thought my wife and I would go and pay the guy a few bucks and he would tell my (laughs) wife she was wrong and I was right. And that would settle that and we'd go have lunch somewhere. And three years later, I'm still paying him seven bucks a week to learn how big of a, you know, curse word I am. And I can't say on the air. So anyway, uh, I realized like for many pastors, they need that. They need that outlet where they can seek help and say, look, I I need someone to speak into my life. So it's been a blessing to me. And I'll I'll definitely be pointing people to a resource like yours, where they can go get the help that they need, where there's not a stigma around it, where there's not shame, where there's hope and healing to be found. So I love what you guys are doing. John, we're big fans of Rural Matters Institute. And, and like I said, your podcast was, was great for me when I was a rural pastor. And uh, we want to help people connect with you uh, how can how can people find you and Rural Matters Institute uh, to connect on a little bit deeper level? You bet. My website is smalltownbigchurch.com, also the name of my podcast. I'm on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, you can find me on those platforms. And then again, the Billy Graham Center, uh, bgcruralmatters.com is the, the website for Rural Matters Institute, and uh, they're on Facebook as well. So I'm not too hard to find uh, my email. I'll even share that with you real quick. It's John, and I don't have an H in my name. It's just J-O-N at smalltownbigchurch.com. And if anyone wants to reach out, I would be happy to serve them in any way that I possibly could.
So one of the things we like to, to offer all our guests is just an opportunity to give a brief word of hope or, or encouragement to our listeners. What, what would you say to those who are listening today? Well, I'm going to say, if you're not already encouraged, Pastor, you, you need to hit rewind and listen again. <laughs> you haven't been listening clearly, but no, seriously, I would say to any pastor serving in the, the rural church, especially in this season, man, we're, we're kind of in still maybe in the middle of this pandemic. I'd love to say we're getting toward the end, but who knows? It has been a difficult season for pastors. I just want you to know you are not alone. Um, and here's the thing, as crazy as, as things are happening in our world right now, we serve a king that is above all of this. I really believe this, that the best days of the church are still in front of her. Mm-hmm. I think we're coming into one of the greatest seasons for the church that we have ever known. And it's coming through some very uncomfortable circumstances and some painful circumstances. But tell me throughout history when the church has been advancing in a place of comfort and reclining and rest, man, it's always in those seasons of hardship and trial that the spirit of God just lights a fire and moves. And so pastors stay in the fight, stay with it, be encouraged, because I think we're getting ready to to see God move in some incredible ways. And uh, how sad would it be to sideline yourself from, from that? Like the fight's about to get good. So let's stay in it. Let's stay together, get the help that you need, get the rest that you need. And then let's get you back in the fight because uh, some good things are about to go down. I really believe that. But John, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us and encourage our listeners. And uh, we just hope to, that uh, our future partnership with you and with Rural Manners Institute will bring a lot of help to rural pastors, to small church pastors, and anyone in need. So thanks so much. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, been my pleasure, guys. Thank you so much. And as always, we invite you, our listeners, to rate and review Hope Renewed in iTunes or your favorite podcast app and to share this podcast with your friends on social media. It's a great way to help us continue to bring hope to others. Thanks for joining us today. It's our prayer that you will hold fast to the hope set before us in Christ. PIR Ministries partners with God and the Church in the work of pastoral renewal and restoration to cultivate new hope for healthy ministry lives. You can learn more about us at our webpage, pirministries.org, or email us at info at pirministries.org. Thanks for joining us for Hope Renewed, and remember, the hope Christ offers will never put us to shame.